0: What you laughing at? <laughs> what you laughing at? You forgot to clear record. It's recording now. Oh. I see how it is. <laughs> I I was just sitting here grooving, listening to these sweet Wakanda nights background music. All right. Well, welcome back to. The podcast lecture series, the comics course, which is the casual name for Miskatonic University's remote education program from the Literature Department of Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History. I am your ever erudite professor, Hamby with my ever-suffering T.A. Rowan. Uh, I don't have any updates on the manticores or department updates from Dr. Feckett because it is still the holidays. We are recording on Sunday, and people return to the real world tomorrow, as I understand it, while I will continue to live here in my office with my new office mates, the Golden Frog and Busta the Rat.
1: Wait, they stay here?
0: Yeah, all the time now. It turns out that a rat and a frog are not allowed to sign for an apartment in Arkham, Massachusetts. That's weird. I think it's racism. Yeah. And the frog definitely thinks it's racism.
1: (laughs) He thinks everything's racism.
0: He is. Uh, He does. So today we're going to cover the Black Panther, the complete collection by Christopher Priest, volume two. There are sort of several major arcs to this. And the first one takes up about eight or nine issues ranging from uh, up to, I think it's issue 19 to 28, somewhere in there, and it's convoluted. Now, I want to look back just a little bit on what we talked about last lecture when we talked about the growth of Black Panther as a mastermind. Now, there's kind of two aspects to this. He wasn't a pure mastermind. He was an action-oriented mastermind. He wasn't the Nero wolf who sits back in his apartment and solves things while people bring him information. Uh, He wasn't the Reed Richards in an adventure where he stays in the lab while Johnny Torch and the Thing, uh, Johnny Storm and the Thing handle things, the Human Torch. Instead, he's out there, he's in the midst of things, he's a man of action, but it's his mind that really accomplishes it. And this next story arc, that's kicked up a couple of notches. And we'll see some mechanics that Priest uses to accomplish this. However, I do think it's important that, and this is repeating from last time, but it's very critical to say that Priest made him a superhero on another level. He gave him a suit with invulnerability, he gave him gadgets, he gave him special adamantium boots with special kinds of vibration. I'm not sure how that works since vibranium is supposed to absorb vibrations, energy claws, and all kinds of other stuff. This made him a cooler superhero. And let's remember, a major market for these books aside from middle-aged white guys who go to comic book stores, is at least in theory, kids reading comic books. And kids that look at superheroes are influenced by this. You know, when their superheroes espouse certain ideals, it's meaningful to them. And that's one of the reasons comic books have an important place in society. Now, the Black Panther is a first-rate black superhero at this point. And that's a big deal. Now, as we move forward, I'm not going to attempt to explain the plot in full of these next eight or nine issues. The reason is I, is that I would need a flow chart for it. It's convoluted. I imagine Christopher Priest sitting there with, like, a cappuccino machine, you know, hardcore distilled caffeine, and he's just mainlining it while he writes this. And he's got paper all up on the walls. And he's like, I'm going to make something. And he does this here and he goes here. And he backed off from Ross's erratic storytelling. Ross still does some things out of linear flow, but he could not combine it with the complicated plot line and have it be understandable at all. I was sitting there reading it in order and still confused by parts of it that I had to flip back and confirm now the overarching plot is about Killmonger's back. Now Killmonger is now dead for, has been dead 3 times now. His original time of course was at Warrior Falls when T'Chaka uh, sorry T'Challa defeated him back in the Don McGregor's uh Jungle Action. However, he's twice been resurrected outside Black Panther mainline titles for one-off stories, once by the Mandarin where he used some, you know, resurrect from the dead ring. And once by Claw, the arch nemesis of the Black Panther. It is he's
1: the Black Panther's main villain. Let's all accept he's just going to be alive forever.
0: Right, Claw. Uh it, oh, you mean Killmonger? Yeah. Okay. And I think that's valid. Now, Killmonger has a sort of cult that follows him. They got his body. They took it to the altar of resurrection, which was featured in Don McGregor's run on Black Panther and Jungle Action. And Killmonger was resurrected. His goal now is to crash the Wakandan economy through manipulation of this thing called the Wakandan Design Group, a corporation, and destroy the Black Panther that way. Because the Black Panther is not just the king of Wakanda. He is the owner of the Vibranium Mound. He is the whole government. And since the money of Wakanda is Black Panther's money, essentially, it makes him one of the richest men in the world, but if you destroy the money, then you destroy Wakanda. And he's referred to at one point as Michael Melkin, who was a famous Wall Street figure at the time this was written. So that is part of the challenge that T'Challa faces, while all these other things happen. Now, as I flip through pages, and I may interrupt myself, I'm going to go over some of these things. One of the first things I want to note, though, is that we have lots of different artists. They really had trouble holding on to the same artists consistently during this run. And the first issue featured uh, an artist named Hots, who I really felt like was kind of trying to channel Sam Keith here. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. I love Sam Keith's art. But I'm just going to go over some of the events that occur in this storyline... Just so that you can get a sense for the sheer chaos.
1: Oh, God, your notes are so long.
0: Yes. I cannot trust memory on this.
1: It's bullet pointed. Mm hmm. And there's a scroll.
0: Yeah, and I'm not at the end of it. So, Ross at the end of volume one became aware that he was what he felt like was the butt of the joke. And T'Challa, in fact, said to Nikki, Ross's boss and his old lover, that Ross deserved better, that he should not have been treated like this. And Ross and Nikki have a straight-out fight. In fact, they end up punching each other and destroying their apartment. Uh, Monica Lynn, at one point, ends up being dragged around by Killmonger by her hair in the middle of a fight while wearing a golden variant of the Slave Girl Leia outfit. This is after they play basketball together. What? Yes, in his little home village. There is a diversionary story about how kids with quarters help fuel the imaginary global economy. What? And it also, it turns out, Killmonger's investing heavily in something called iFruit, which is a joke on Macintosh. You're following along so far, right? We just started... We just started. We got a long way to go. Um, there's so much to go. We have a whole lot more of Queen Divine Justice. She's less obnoxious now. And in fact, during the course of this, she kind of becomes Black Panther's sidekick-ish character at times. We have several other black superheroes that get involved, including Vibraxis, who's originally from Wakanda and had a role in some Fantastic Four stories, as well as Triathlon, who is an Avenger, and we'll see them in a little bit. We get to see Taku again, Taku. and Taku's like got an old man, and he's bald. 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 They did that to Taku? That, I mean, tell me, that's not just bald. That's like Buddhist monk bald. Like, hair on the, not sideburns, sideburns are, like, on your face. These are sideburns on the side of the head. He didn't want to go totally bald. We don't know where Venom is, you know, but Taku now, like, instead of walking around with a radio, lives in a room that's filled with technology and monitors and is like a spider in the center of a techno communications web. So Taku's gotten a kind of creepy, he-watches-all upgrade, (laughs) if you can call it an upgrade. I hope Venom likes bald guys. That's all I can say, (laughs) right? Uh, Ross loses his American citizenship because of stuff that's gone on. He's now considered a foreign agent. And the the Black Panther decides, T'Challa, that since the Parliament only enacts laws on his whim, um, he's going to dissolve it and immediately invoke his right to claim ownership of all American companies and foreign companies operating in Wakanda, including everything that uh, Najaka Killmonger was investing in and developing. So the whole global economy is sent into freefall.
1: This seems like a poor idea.
0: But... It prevents Killmonger from accomplishing anything.
1: But at what cost?
0: Well, that's the question Killmonger proposes to T'Challa. And T'Challa's response is, we are a nation of belief and a nation of people, not of monies. And his point is, I can survive the global economy collapsing. So what? We'll get sealed off from the rest of the world. We'll still have our vibranium technology. We'll still have our food. We're still a tribal people. We don't need a global economy to survive. (laughs) But this rebuilds those xenophobic ideas. At the same time, while Christopher Priest is continuing to pull Wakanda into the 20th century, late 20th century when this was published, it's still bringing back that idea that got brought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe of we are still apart from the rest of the world. Not a part of, but apart from. And this is an important theme. But hold on, we got a lot way to go, long way to go. Uh, In the course of things, T'Challa and Killmonger end up having a three-day-long fight at Warrior Falls as part of a ritual matter, literally fighting for hours at a time, then separating, taking naps, getting food, continuing their fight. I'm skipping lots of side stories here, by the way, we just don't have time for all of it yeah and it really made the writing dominant because they just could not keep along the way while this is happening by the way moon knight shows up along with brother voodoo and there's a whole dream sequence that occurs against nightmare um the demonic entity nightmare along with the involvement of the egyptian god khonshu this is too much hold on we're only like on issue four now, I do want to point out there are monkeys at Warriors Fall.
1: Yeah, I was about to say that there were monkeys involved with the story. But there's not a hot
0: tub. Oh. So it's just the monkeys are just watching. And notice they're having these breaks. I mean, they're they're talking to each other. And Killmonger talks about how much he hates T'Challa and hates his father because he views them as responsible for his parents' death and enslavement by Ulysses Claw. I mean, bro has issues. <laughs> Along the way. Keep in mind, technically, Everett Ross is still king of Wakanda, because T'Challa has not gotten around to issuing the order back from last volume, ending the Regency. So technically, in the midst of all this fighting that's going, and Killmonger ends up having the advantage on T'Challa, Ross says something stupid and cedes the country to Killmonger. So Killmonger is now the Black Panther. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, cool. So there's a beautiful art page at the beginning uh, or end of one of the issues where Najaka is on his knees holding up the mask and spear and just, you know, like, yeah, I did it! Well, I will, I will... I'll never have kids, but, you know, the, dro- the roids were worth it for the muscles. I'm completely impotent, but I'm badass.
1: (laughs) Well, I want to know if if this was an accident and he wasn't supposed to become king, why would people just go with
0: it? Because it's tribal law. And it's important to understand that amongst all these things that he's done that are horrible, he's not violated tribal law, which in Wakanda is the only thing that matters.
1: So they don't care about what's best for them, just about what's law. Well,
0: they can't just make up rules. I mean, they can say, we don't like that you did this, but if it's legal, it's legal, right? And if the rules say that he can challenge and fight and beat the guy up and kill him and take control of the country, then that's what the law says he can do. Unless you're being Eurocentric and saying that your Western idea of what a culture should operate as, should take precedence over Wakandas.
1: No. I'm just saying he feels like a terrorist to me. I and mean, this is a poor idea. Eh,
0: maybe so. There are certainly people with that opinion. But hold on. We got a long way to go. We're only partway through the elements of this story. Because along the way, Ross gets instructions that were left behind that he has to interpret, and goes off to New York, secretly, because he's now technically an enemy of the United States, to recruit the White Wolf in secret. T'Challa is not dead, and he's being tended to at the Temple of Tranquility, and they're hoping to get him back. This is when he goes on the dream sequence with Brother Voodoo and, and Moon Knight and all that, which leads to a flashback to when Everett Ross was a lawyer and represents in New York Superior Court, Kazard the king of the Savage Land and his giant cybertooth tiger. He
1: couldn't bother to wear a shirt to court?
0: No. Okay. How's he going to pick up chicks on the subway if he has a shirt on? I, feel I like, mean, really.
1: I feel like his court knows slightly more important. Eh, whatever.
0: whatever. Westerners and oppressing other people with their views. I see how it is around here. I thought you were all into modern movement and political correctness, and here you are just oppressing people all over again, oppressing wait, how, this lame ass Tarzan ripoff with your American centric values. Wait, how is it all over again? I mean, you were just doing it a minute ago with Wakandan tribal law. I see how it is. They're not, a, they're not you know, a Western technological society, and you can just ignore their tribal values as irrelevant to you. I see how it is No, because I think our laws here are stupid too Well <laughs> You better go start your own country, honey And I don't mean being self-sovereign Because that shit won't hold up in court So As we go on kill what, what do you think Killmonger would do Now that he is considered The tribal chieftain of Wakanda I don't know, but now I'm scared Come on, guess uh... Hold on, folks the gerbil just got slapped. It's trying to wake up and move some gears. I don't know. He tries to join the Avengers. <laughs> Eric Ross refers to him as Kill Panther now. And he tries to join the Avengers.
1: to become part of their... the equivalent of their superhero
0: military. Right. He completely hates Black Panther, so he goes to fill his role. (laughs) Right. This makes sense, right? (laughs) Meanwhile, all this Dream World stuff is still happening, and we get one of the most bizarre parodies of Batman I've ever seen, with Black Panther as Batman, which is actually pretty accurate, and then Everett Ross as Robin. As Tribal Robin. Achebe is the Joker which I can definitely see, and Nakia, the disgraced Dora Milaje, as this weird catwoman thing. And it's bizarre, and I love it.
1: I still don't get what this has to do with the story, the main story.
0: Okay. Nothing. (laughs) It's a dream sequence. I did learn, however, while rereading this, that apparently Katana... The, the combination of sounds, which indicate in Japanese a sword, and Zulu means kitten.
1: Zulu?
0: Yeah, Zulu, the Zulu language of Africa. Okay. They have Africa there. They're not just savages. Don't keep bringing that Eurocentric crap into my podcast. We welcome and embrace people here. I swear, the younger people these days, they just don't appreciate diversity the way we old white people do.
1: <laughs> oh, uh huh. Yeah.
0: yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going with. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, sure. as this, hold on, we still got a lot. I am only right here in the notes.
1: So, you're saying we've had all this main crazy stuff going on, just the main story. And on top of it, they're throwing in nonsense side stories and dream sequences.
0: It's not technically nonsense, but you do have to look for the meaning. But wait, there's more. Uh, Everett manages to piss off Wakabi, who's not walking around with the artificial-looking arm anymore. Now,
1: now they're taking away a piece of representation.
0: Yep. T'Challa is, however, joining the land of disabled people. His spine has now had damage and legs broken, and he has to use a floating wheelchair, so he's Xaviering this shit.
1: Of course.
0: Like a and he's bald now, too, so he's, well, he's been bald for a while. But the Black Xavier look is rocking, is all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, his his like hospital pajamas are even blue and gold in traditional X-Men colors.
1: I, which I don't think has ever been any actual hospital gown.
0: I, I think it was a little in-joke on the part of the artist. I really think it was. Yeah. As things go on, and by the way, here's the page where Carol uh, Monger shows up with his leopard prey, to join the Avengers, and She Hulk is just looking at him like, What are you doing here? She just had, actually, the look on her face to me is, Why didn't I let someone else open, answer the fucking door? Why am I dealing with this shit? And then we have a Achebe's back. Aren't we glad to have a Achebe back? No. Along with some supervillains and Deadpool. I mean, Deadpool's gonna help this make sense, right?
1: <laughs> you know, it's gonna off the rails when Deadpool joins.
0: Right. Now we find T'Challa, now in his own spider's web of technology and monitors and stuff, we go to see Taku again. Ta- this artist is drawing Taku somewhere close to his original age, except now he's wired up. I don't know why a communications guy needs wires going to a thigh cuff. I'm a little bewildered by that. It seems a bit weird. Maybe he, like, sends, does, like, weird thigh things with his muscles to send computer commands. I don't know. You're looking at me. Why are you looking at me?
1: I'm concerned.
0: (laughs) I'm not the artist. I'm just saying it's there, isn't it? So, one word was given before someone was attacked. Malice. Now, you might remember Malice from Don McGregor's run. Mm -hmm. So they start looking for malice, but it turns out it is not that malice. It is, of course, logical to think so, since she was an associate of Killmonger. But this is a new malice who we formerly knew as Nakia, the rogue Dora Milaje.
1: Of course, because there has to be two malices. Things can't be simple.
0: And then we see Deadpool threatening to shoot Achebe's hand puppet. (laughs) And Deadpool later asks if he can keep it. And Achebe is discussing things with two supervillains. One, a guy who uses vibranium appendages and a super strong girl named Titania. There's an ongoing joke that happens that the uh, that the one guy doesn't believe Titania is a real woman. And Titania is there because she's having a falling out with her boyfriend. And they were subletting an apartment from Dr. Octopus under his lab. And she can't go back there because they're fighting so she's doing this job while trying to let things cool down with her boyfriend.
1: Well, that's one way to spend your time.
0: And then the other guy doesn't believe she's a woman. Uh, which leads to her getting mad until they bond on ha- hatred of Deadpool. And he's basically like, I feel you, bro. <laughs> Meanwhile, dead, now, a lot of, they initially meet up in some weird lab here. Or some weird like palace-like setting. I don't know where Achebe's getting this money from. Where do supervillains get their money? Seriously.
1: That's that's the great question of all comic books.
0: So then we jump to Triathlon, the Black Avenger, playing Frisbee with Prey, the Panther.
1: We're skipping again.
0: Look, we're going to jump around here. And then Tom Cruise shows up. Why? That's Tom Cruise. (laughs) And he shows up to teleport away and steal prey, Killmonger's leopard. Now, it turns out, of course, this is not really Tom Cruise. This is Deadpool, who Loki has cursed to look like Tom Cruise. (laughs)
1: Loki?
0: Yeah. That was off screen in a different book. You gotta follow along here. So while all this is happening, just sheer chaos is breaking out because the supervillains are driving along in an ice cream truck that crashes through the wall to the Avengers mansion. That's one reinforced ice cream truck. That's all I have to say. (laughs) The smart villains decide to get out of there before it gets late. One of the supervillains gets upset in an interview because, and his name's a constrictor, he says, can I ask you something? Can you need to be honest with me? Just for one second. Okay, so I'm the constrictor. Major villain. Electrified vibranium coils. I went toe to toe with the Hulk. Okay, so why don't know how I have a wanted poster in the post office? For crap's sake, I see losers. Losers like Jack lantern and the Matador. Matador has a poster. That's it. I've had it. I demand to speak to the agent in charge of the posters. I'm fed up with this, I tell you. And by the way, Titania, I think she's a man.
1: <laughs> He's obsessed with this idea,
0: right? And there is nothing to indicate Titania is a man. I think he might have issues with strong women. Just saying.
1: Yeah, seriously.
0: That's why he doesn't have a poster. So uh, right. So all of this keeps going, and I'm not even sure who Achebe is trying to screw over at this point. Everybody. Meanwhile, what's T'Challa doing? You describe what T'Challa doing.
1: Made out of God knows what with a book and just reading.
0: With a with a few notes I wanna make. There's a white rug underneath him that's a white ape.
1: And he's wearing this weird orange like cloak thing on yeah. top of him and a really tight blue shirt and tight green pants.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean fashion is not his standpoint, we know that. Uh but he's chilling. I mean he looks relaxed, doesn't he?
1: of some sort of leather with a
0: black panther on it. You're obsessed with this chair.
1: (laughs) It looks
0: weird. I want you to look, however, at what's in this tube behind him. That was the original design costume for the Black Panther when he was going to be called the Coal Tiger before he was ever published. And the artist just worked it in as a little detail in the background. Although he might have been instructed to by Christopher Priest. I don't know. (laughs) They didn't go with it. That's such an <laughs> I know, <joke>. it's hideous. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Avengers are trying to sneak in here. Things are absolute chaos. And unfortunately, in all the events that happen, uh, including the battles, Nikki is killed. Oh. Yep. Malice, the former Nakia of the Dora Milaje, attempts to attack T'Challa, who even in a wheelchair owns her. Is about her aim and then before things are over i want you to see focus my dear ta on this up uh, this panel at the top of this page mm-hmm. so by now, now nikki's not dead yet she's here with ross with wakabi with monica lynn with queen divine justice with the white wolf with killmonger and they're basic and t'challa is just sitting at a desk with papers He's just like, I got paperwork to do. And everybody's asking him for resolutions, <laughs> including his arch enemies. and people who want to kill him. I love it. And he's just in control.
1: I love that the supervillains are still in their getup.
0: Right. While and the he's,
1: others are in like normal everyday clothes.
0: And he's just sitting, and he's just like, whatever.
1: He's just sitting there with reading glasses.
0: And they're upset about stuff. And T'Challa's like, I waive the ascension right. Let Injaka be confirmed as she's chieftain. What? You think I fear the right... You are grieving the loss of your friend. Not thinking clearly, for if you were, you would see the White Wolf is setting you up. And he's just sitting there chilling. I mean, he's got a highlighter out. He's highlighting shit while everyone's freaking out. And all of them, of course, do what he says. Including the people trying to kill him. <laughs> Then we see him, uh, T'Challa, who's trying to recover. His mother's bringing him food. And they have this weird conversation that you think, this makes no sense. And she says to him, they're about to start the ascension rite. Perhaps you should stop it. I cannot. It is a tribal matter, not a political one. You're sure of that? I am king, but chieftain no longer. I cannot interfere to save Najaka. So they're just talking calmly about it's a done deal that Killmonger is a dead man. And it turns out why pretty soon. And Jocko wins. We think at first it's going to be because in the tribal battle challenge that others will defeat him. They don't. He easily cleans them out. But then he finally is given the heart-shaped herb that he's been waiting for that will turn him into somebody so much more powerful than T'Challa But he's rejected by the panther spirit and dies, trying to eat the herb.
1: Oh, the panther spirit just straight up killed him. Well... Or the plant does, or...?
0: They've implied at times... They've never given a 100% straight answer to this. They've implied at times that perhaps T'Challa's bloodline may have something to do with it. And that only some of them can eat it. But I've interpreted it as it's a synergy and that the herb allows... The body to sort of act in an enhanced way, but also connect with the panther spirit. So when and if rejected, you.
1: The plant kills him.
0: Right. You need both. Mm-hmm. And then, guess what happens, of course? Everett Ross is upset. He'd been fighting with Nikki. She died because she went out in the hallway after they were fighting, and he said he needed space. So he becomes determined to take her body to the altar of resurrection that Killmonger was raised from and bring her back to life, which is when the aliens show up. And it turns out aliens have been living at the altar of resurrection. And when Nikki comes, raises up from the dead, starts shooting lightning blasts from her eyes. And then they go to space. And then some space aliens drop them off and tell them, yeah, this this place you call the Altar of Resurrection, the weird radiation, this was where we sent a bunch of convicts. Wait, wait,
1: wait, 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 you're saying this
0: is Australia as a planet? We're saying Wakanda is Australia for aliens, or at least was a long time ago. And then Ross, pissed at everything, punches T'Challa. And then T'Challa chews him out. And it's like, you want to know when I was your friend? Since the airport.
1: Oh, this is not Ross's day.
0: No, Ross is fucked up a lot. And in the end, Nikki was still dead. So was Killmonger, though people pretended not to notice. Now, I'm going to read to you the text bubbles of Ross's thinking. So, to answer the question, how could the king repair Wakanda's collapsed economy? Answer, with his cell phone. Once Killmonger was no longer a threat, he simply switched Wakanda's monetary standard over to the U.S. dollar, then reversed his edict, returning the nationalized assets. Global market soared. Now, there was a thread we're going to have to pick back up, uh, and I think Collection 3, because Tony Stark decided to invest in the Wakandan design group while this was all happening and take advantage of its super low cost making him a large part owner of the Wakandan design group and that becomes a different problem T'Challa will have to handle and then Storm shows up and we're only on issue 26
1: writers trying to do too much at once
0: I'm telling you Christopher Priest was mainlining caffeine (laughs) seriously
1: I can't keep him with this what was he
0: thinking now thematically there's not a whole lot here i really want to follow up on the rest of this i but what i want to talk about and want to make sure people understand from this lecture point is that what christopher priest did in this first part of the collection is he hammered home the idea that t'challa is a mastermind and a genius there he was at the end Now, previously, he's out doing adventuring stuff as Black Panther. Here he was crippled with injury, stuck in a chair, unable to fight back. All he could do was read and do paperwork, and he still controlled the situation. This is somebody who doesn't need to jump around in his cat outfit. He can take care of things with his mind. And that's a powerful symbol, because keep in mind... Really, the idea of the mastermind, the genius as a hero archetype, is a very 20th century idea. There aren't a ton of them, and they're pretty much all white. In fact, when years later, Marvel decided to have a kind of group of these who helped herald humanity's issues, it was all white. Two of them so white that one of them, Black Bolt, lives on the other side of the moon from the sun, and one of them, Namor, lives deep in the ocean away from the sun. I mean, we're talking about white, white people. T'Challa was invited and rejected it because he's like, this kind of secret stuff always goes bad and turned out to not only be smart, but wise, a trait not always associated with the genius archetype. So the rest of this, I don't want to spend too much time on. Um, There are a few interesting points that happen The U.S. is invited to come in and help pick up the the criminal aliens. But it turns out that in the course of things, they also pick up somebody they should not have. A what looks like alien, but turns out not to be. This pink-skinned alien with antennae turns out to actually be somebody who, using shape-shifting, has been living in Wakanda and has given birth to what appears to be a normal, healthy, dark-skinned baby that we see here with Storm. This is a problem because it turns out to actually be a member of the race of deviants. Now, you've. The deviants were a creation of Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. They were kind of the counterpoint to the Eternals. The Eternals were all beautiful and godlike and were there to help shepherd humanity. The deviants are monstrous and are all born with unique mutations distinct from humanity and look hideous. This guy that you see here, Lord Gar, is just one of them. And they have all different appearances. The child is, by their law, an abomination because it appears to be a normal human. A regression. Something that should be destroyed. T'Challa refuses to return the child. He says this child was born on Wakandan soil and he is... The exact quote is, and neither Wakanda nor her kind... Will be ordered, nor her king will be ordered about by murderers. So this creates a state of brinksmanship. It's effectively a declaration of war, but no shots have been fired yet. That's what I mean by brinksmanship. They are they load up to war, and there are lines being drawn. Atlantis has a peace treaty with Lemuria that says they will aid them in war. The U.S. There's a question: What side are they going to be on? And most people want the kid returned to the deviants, even if they're going to kill it. They say a global war is not worth the cost.
1: Because they don't think a global war is worth the life of a small child.
0: While T'Challa is like, a single Wakandan life is worth it. Mm -hmm. And he considers the child under Wakanda's protection. In fact, perhaps under their tribal law, might even be a Wakandan. Mm -hmm. So, And T'Challa is an idealist. This is something stated earlier. So this is the first time we get to see T'Challa as a king, not just handling large national matters, but international matters as a political figure between nations. In fact, we see him at the United Nations for the first time as a representative uh, regent, where the Avengers offer to take the child, to calm things down, things like that. T'Challa responds, no, he has a child somewhere safe. Doesn't want to compromise their safety. Turns out the safety is the kit the royal the kitchens of the Royal Palace. Hanging out while Queen Divine Justice makes fried chicken. Wakandans are about to discover American fried chicken, folks. Waka- forget pizza. Fried chicken. It's gonna change their lives. Everybody you can go to the Middle East, the most Muslim places in the world, and they eat American fried chicken. I'm absolutely serious yeah, about because this.
1: It's, fried chicken.
0: it's amazingly good. Along the way here, the White Wolf comes back, who's manipulating everybody. Claw comes back, who betrays everybody. Dr. Doom, Namor, Magneto, Warlord Crow, all trying to influence T'Challa and get him to do what they want him to do. And by the end of it, Ross is sent to Lemuria to be the political attache to the Deviants.
1: This seems like a poor idea.
0: And Ross does what Ross tends to do by being a smartass who uses humor to deflect everything. He also, after 10 minutes of talking to the warlord, figures out the warlord's secret, that the reason the warlord is so freaked out about this kid is that it's his.
1: Of course.
0: Because he's not bothered, he's not willing to go to global war because a deviant had a normal child. He's willing to, to hide his secret that he... Essentially, the king of the deviants had a normal child. Because Ross understands motivations of people in politics. Mm-hmm. And he saw what the superheroes didn't. Somebody, not somebody driven by ideology, but somebody driven by greed. Pure and simple.
1: Which makes sense. Why go to war over a, sm- a child? Right. But, unless you have something to hide.
0: Right. So that's fun. And as the storyline goes on, it's nice to see some of these refugee issues that are brought up, and but they're still handled in a fairly superficial way. There are some fun fight scenes. I have to admit, I have a soft spot for seeing T'Chaka kind of blow people off. Like, you don't have right tell me what to do. I'm the goddamn, you know, king of Wakanda. Um, and we have a panel. I don't know where it is in here, so I'm not going to be able to find it. But I'm gonna, this is going to hurt you a little bit, bro. Mm-hmm. T'Challa yells, I am the lord of the Wakandas. No, no. Yes. No. It is said even in the Chris. This is, we, we are through the entirety of like the first 30 issues, and Wakandas is used as plural once.
1: Why is it still being used?
0: I don't know. It- By the end, everything is sorted out and kind of dealt with. And then we get an interesting side story in issue 30. First contact, Wakanda, 1941. This is where we find out that Captain America, back in 1941, pursuing Nazis, seeking the legend of the Great Mound, were trying to get materials from Wakanda. And T'Challa's father, T'Chaka, had contact with Captain America and met him.
1: So Captain America has not only met T'Challa, but his
0: dad. Right. Now, later on, another series came out called, I believe, Flags of Our Fathers. We'll talk about that at another time. That goes into this in more depth, and because so much time had passed, they time-shifted it to be, instead of T'Chaka, but Az- Az- Azari, uh, T'Chaka's father.
1: That's, that's three generations back.
0: Well, it's World War Two. The World War Two element is a fixed point in time, so everything else keeps moving in time, so they... <laughs> I mean, if they write a new series about it 15, 20 years from now, they're going to have to make it to T'Challa's great-grandfather. <laughs> Welcome to comic books. Mythology. Well, well, but, this in this case, with a fixed point of time in the mythology.
1: Yeah, because World War II is a time period you cannot move.
0: Right. Now, as this is happening, these flashbacks are happening because Captain America is describing how he first encountered Wakanda as this U.S. court is having a debate about whether to revoke T'Challa's right to visit the states anymore. And Ross is representing him and saying stuff like, well, he's a nutcase. We all know that. And they're like, you're helping us. And he keeps making these flippant statements. And then by the end of it, he makes this great little speech. He says, what kind of hero employs cunning and misdirection? Who is to question our motives and values. What kind of avenger, of superhero can this guy be? Answer, he's not a hero at all, super or otherwise. This guy is a king, senator, of a sovereign nation that doesn't need us. The guy doesn't owe us any explanations. And he, he goes on, you know, he says, the suit isn't a costume. It's a ceremonial vestment. He's not Captain America. He's not Iron Man. He doesn't answer to you. He's Namor without the attitude. And hey, I don't see you dragging Namor in for stupid inquiries. He's only here out of respect for this nation and the committee. And he doesn't need us. So by the end, they reverse things. They say, all right, it's fine. Um... T'Challa makes one last point of contact with Monica Lynn, and there is an attempt to reconcile. She rejects it, but they leave with a kiss, and it's over. Now, Don, even previous to Don McGregor, Monica Lynn had really been positioned as the love of T'Challa's life, and Christopher Priest has closed the books on that and opened the way for Storm, for an African king to find his soulmate with an African goddess, mm-hmm. not an African-American social worker.
1: Wait, she had a job?
0: Well, she's been a jazz singer, a social worker, other things. Um, I mean, she's a perfectly respectable career, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think she's even been a fine character. But most of her presence has been being the pet, pun, pet victim for T'Challa's enemies. And there is a valid point that somebody like T'Challa, he's a king and he needs a queen. Mm-hmm. And Storm was worshipped as a goddess. She's part of a traditional line. She and her region of Africa has, a, in some way, similar role to what T'Challa's line does in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. And we find out at the very end, an interesting bit, that Steve Rogers did leave Wakanda in 1941 with a small piece of vibranium, And that was the vibranium used and forged with adamantium to create his shield. Something we've never known before because he has never revealed it to anybody except presumably the scientist he gave it to.
1: Which makes sense. Wakanda was meant to be a
0: secret. Right. And it's never been revealed before where that vibranium came from. Now, if you're a little confused about that statement of an alloy... If you are mostly familiar with the anime, the anime, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where they talk about the shield being made of vibranium exclusively, in the comics, it is a unique alloy of vibranium and another material called adamantium. Vibranium in the comics is not renowned for being impervious and impossible to break. It has its unique absorption properties. Adamantium is unique for being essentially unbreakable. So his shield has the unique ability to combine those properties, which nobody else has managed to do, even when they have the metals. Mm-hmm. But wait, there's more, because Mephisto is back. Oh God. Now, these last few issues, I'm just going to describe an abstract. Nakia is back, now is Malice, now with a weird chemical she can put on her lips that basically lets her enslave men's minds. So this is dangerous. Dakota Fanning visits, who's a street-level character from the Marvel Universe who's a private eye, and she's working for T'Challa. Everett Ross is is put into Mephisto's body, which causes him various problems, including he tries to go to the Avengers to get help, and basically he's attacked. And then he goes to the Defenders to try to get Dr. Strange's help. And Everett Ross walks in, who turns out to be Mephisto, and sucker punches them all. So he's used as a sucker for that. Yep. And our next storyline is called Seduction of the Innocent. Now, we've had all these things about how T'Challa is such a badass. About how T'Challa is the king and the mastermind. Now, we still get T'Challa the mastermind in this upcoming storyline, but honestly, Malice gets the edge on him several times. It does turn out that he's suckering her and that she does not control his mind at times that she thinks she does, but she really makes life hard for T'Challa. And there is a theme here of even the greatest man can be brought down by love. And this can be the greatest challenge, not facing enemies, but facing your loved ones. Because the thing is, Malice actually loves him. It's dark and twisted. And he loves her, although like a father, not how she wants to be loved. I mean, he adopted her as one of his Dora Melage, which does mean adored ones, but she was a child. She grew up in the palace. He's
1: when you've known them since they
0: were babies. Right. And you can't just direct romantic feelings anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: So, and he knows the situation is screwed up. You know, they're only allowed to speak to him and other Dora Milaje. They're not going to have husbands. But they are keeping war, civil war from Wakanda. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So, it's a difficult situation. But it's still true love. I mean, she does love him even though, as I said, it's dark and twisted and screwed up. And I I do want to throw in here a story. I don't know if this is true at all. This may be completely apocryphal. I have read that Priest is not Christopher Priest's real last name. I have read, and I'd love to know if this is true. If anybody listening to the lecture can actually verify it, or, or Or say this was b s that maybe maybe Christopher Priest was just talking to some interviewer once and decided to mess with them i don 't know, which I could easily imagine because it 's got to be fun to mess with interviewers, mm-hmm. but according to this tidbit I read once, he went through an ugly divorce and he changed his last name to priest because he said he was never going to be with a woman again. <laughs> Now, that sounds fake to me. That, that doesn't sound... Yeah, you know, I just good. can't imagine going in front of a judge and giving that as a reason for changing your last name. And but like, I still love the story.
1: Uh-huh. It's, it's a great story, but I doubt it's true.
0: And there certainly is a theme that runs through here of women are trouble. Now, he doesn't paint them as completely evil. I have to be careful here. This is not a misogynist viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Even Malice, at her most evil, and she is certainly evil has redeeming qualities, not many, although she kind of redeems herself a bit at the end by giving the uh, antidote to the poison she used to T'Challa when she finally kind of realizes he'll never love her no matter what she does, the way she wants to be loved. And that's a hard feeling, that feeling of you love someone but they won't love you the way you want is a hard adult feeling. There's another storyline that goes through the end here because... Christopher Priest loves Queen Divine Justice. I don't understand why. But it turns out that the outlawed uh, ape cult that the man-ape is from, M'Baku, is in the the Jabari tribe, that Queen Divine Justice is in fact the queen of it. That her parents fled to America and T'Challa let them go rather than execute them. Oh, wow. And when she was recruited to be a member of the Dora Milaje, it wasn't really because they just needed another Dora Milaje, but things were starting to heat up with the Jabari tribe, and he wanted to keep her from becoming a political prisoner, basically, hostage. So he was actually trying to protect her. Meanwhile, and I kind of skipped to the end a little bit there, when Malice realized he'd never love her the way she wanted Nakia. One of the ways he does this is he sends a giant Wakandan warship that's basically a floating, giant floating disk with anti-gravity, evacuates her home village and says, we're going to level your entire valley. We will wipe out your tribe and move all the people to different parts of Wakanda. We will not allow your actions to destroy Wakanda. We will cut off our arm to save the body.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this, of course, horrifies her. And she gives up. As we go along, I do want to point out a few panels, even though you people can't see them, but my TA can. And I like her reactions. They're amusing. Oh. So there's Mephisto's body trying to sleep in Ross's bed. <laughs> and that doesn't look comfortable. legs
1: are like, pointing up in the bed because he's so tall.
0: In the midst of all this happening, Peter Gyrich, a... New government liaison has been assigned to T'Challa, who annoys the living crap out of T'Challa. I would like to know, T'Challa's wearing suits.
1: He's no longer in his Black Panther outfit out and about.
0: Uh, Everett Ross, as Mephisto, is putting on a jacket and a New York Mets cap and attempts to get into the Avengers (laughs) mansion, but the police just turn... Or sorry, he tries to get into the Wakandan consulate, but the police are just like, you freaks, we're tired of you. And people on the subway aren't even looking at him. Exactly. It's New York.
1: They're used to it.
0: I mean, and a seven and a half foot tall guy in a devil outfit. I mean, this stuff happens.
1: And I love that underneath his like, green jacket he has, he still has his um, red cape that, po- that pokes out mm-hmm. on the
0: top. <laughs> and he tries to get into the Avengers mansion, and there's a bunch of cosplayers outside, including a guy with a lot of body hair dressed as the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> And her old outfit where the body hair is very noticeable. (laughs) So this is just pure chaos. And and good humor. All of this moves forward, and I've I've mentioned most of the action that happens, but I do want to point out one last part that highly, highly amused me. In the midst of things, M'Baku... You know, we have a lot of people claiming control of Wakanda who want to do the tribal challenge to T'Challa. Yeah,
1: every every week someone says it's my time to
0: be king. Right. So it's M'Baku's time. And M'Baku is not in a good mood. And basically, the queen uh, can't do the fight. So M'Baku is taking it up as proxy. Mm -hmm. So Tchalla turns around and says, "Well, we're doing a proxy fight. Okay. Peter Gyrich is my proxy. The little white guy that's been annoying me for the last 3 issues. <laughs> Peter Gyrich versus Manate. <laughs> this does not go well for white boy, let me tell you. Just saying. Yeah. Meanwhile, Queen Divine Justice, who actually has not been annoying in the last few issues. I mean, she's had experiences in this volume that grow her as a character. I mean, when she first arrived to Wakanda, she's looking around and everybody's black. And she's like, you know, I've grown up with this chip on my shoulder, but here's an advanced society and we're the normal ones. I don't have anything to fight against here. And who am I when I don't have anything to fight against? And this is a question that African-American philosophers have asked for the last century. We can fight for equality. We can fight to have better lives, and we should. But we also need to know who we're going to be once we win that fight. And we can't just wait till then. We need that now. And that's why artists like Langston Hughes and the Harlem Renaissance didn't just talk about the pain of their experience. They talked about beauty and joy because they needed to encapsulate all of their experiences. Um, And so she's growing as a person. She is a young woman. But at the end of it, M'Baku says, when this item is revealed in the middle of the Jabari tribe's uh, sort of headquarters, he says, that, oh queen, because she's going, what's that? He says, that, oh queen, is your king's worst nightmare. The true reason he has come here. Why he has ordained these as forbidden lands. The secret he'd kill us all to protect. That, my queen, is the true, original Black Panther. And we see a Black Panther figure sealed in some sort of icer crystal. And I would like you to note the Black Panther that M'Baku says here when he says Black Panther. It's the same way the title was given for the Jack Kirby Black Panther. Dun, dun, dun. Golden Frog, no. you're coming back next oh, week. No. You're back. Warm warm up those ribbits, baby. Oh, no. Next week, Volume 3 of Christopher Priest, The Complete Collection. He takes that caffeine he's been chugging and he adds mescaline to it. <laughs> what? We're in for a ride, baby. Oh, no. oh yeah. And we're at an hour, which is, I'm told, the longest I'm legally allowed to hold people against their will, even, in, even on Miskatonic grounds, which has certain exemptions from normal state laws. So I have to sign off the podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in a few days for one about Jeanette Kahn and DC Comics. But until then, keep reading comics. Bye.